0: VR will be and already is a platform where people will learn to dance, learn to sing, learn to paint in an environment that may feel safer to them than actually being in the studio. Being within your body, dancing is one of the most vulnerable things we can do.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the fifth episode of Imagine Human. We have another exciting episode for you today that touches upon the boundaries and intersection between the arts and technology. Today we are joined by Ariane Michaud. Ariane attended the Boston Conservatory to study dance and now works as a consultant for various organizations, including the Design for Dance conference, which intersects dance, performing arts, and emerging technologies, including VR. We go through her unique trajectory that starts off in the traditional realm of the arts. We discuss how a master of her art form has successfully launched forward into a variety of sectors, defying traditional roles as an artist and bringing her love and passion for the arts in today's modern
2: society. Hey, Ariane, Thank you so much for coming today to talk to us. Uh, We're really excited to have you here. Um, Why don't we get started by asking you a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, doing dance?
0: So I was born in Montreal, Canada, uh, but I grew up in Ottawa. Uh, I'm half French-Canadian, half American. My parents met on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I grew up loving the arts, loving dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hated going to dance class at the beginning. Uh, I used to want to be the teacher and the leader, so I would hate you know when someone else was in charge. And uh, that was kind of my life. I think as soon as I, I got on board with taking dance classes, uh, it became... What I did every day after school, uh, what I thought about, uh, everything became about dance. So I would go to school, I would go to dance at night, and uh, the inevitable was to continue dancing, I guess. It was kind of the inevitable next step, and uh, I auditioned for the Boston Conservatory, uh, and I got in. (laughs) That was the big surprise. I got in. I auditioned for a few schools, uh, and I got into the Boston Conservatory, and it was my first choice. And so I attended school there for four years. Uh, I got my undergraduate degree, and now I'm here. Uh, <laughs> Great. So, how can you tell us a
2: little bit about how you went from being at the conservatory to kind of the work that you're doing? It's really, really unique, and we'd love our listeners to kind of understand how uh, that manifested itself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, a few, a few years into my undergraduate degree. I noticed, one, that I was not made for solely a performing arts career, that I was not, I wasn't competitive enough, uh, I didn't want it enough to be in the studio for eight hours a day and to be just dancing. And so I started to, to, to seek out other ways to use this knowledge that I had honed for so many years. And while I was doing that, you know, I was a part of a few internships. I found a really uh, powerful mentor who, who let, guided me through some of these things. And I noticed that, that there was a severe lack in online support for arts organizations and funding. I think funding, you know, was the apparent one from the start. But there were also a lot of organizations and companies, dance companies, that were smaller and looking for social media Support website design, and so I kind of just filled in the gaps. That's how this started. Is I was kind of the person who did what no one else was doing for the organization or for the dance company, and that led me to organizations that I love and uh, missions that I want to support, and and it eventually led me to to work in tech and amongst people that actually sometimes have nothing to do with dance.
3: So would you kind of see yourself sort of merging? this uh, ancient art form into the modern day world of technology through social media. Is that how you would kind of describe your role?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that in general, the arts world is is at a funny place right now, Um, specifically because of technology. So before technology existed, the performing arts was the thing to do. It was a form of entertainment for us, right? And that's why I'm so passionate about dance history, I think, is because, you know, before we had our iPhones and the television, people gathered together more often to be dancing and celebrating. And uh, and so now we're at a funny place, right, where technology is taking over our lives and people are stepping away from things that, that used to entertain them, like the performing arts. And that... That is a great place for change, right? So there's so many exciting things happening, so many exciting collaborations happening with dance, but also other art forms and technology. But it's also this place where we ask ourselves, what do we do with the old? What do we do with the proscenium stage? What do we do with, uh, with orchestras, live orchestras? What do we do with museums and paintings? And how can we get people to still be excited about those things? And so I think that that's what fascinates me about this, is that we're at a point where we really have no idea where we're going, but we have so much power to change what's going to happen. We have so much power to, like, shape the future uh, for the arts, but also for technology.
2: I think that as a former performing artist in opera, opera is a dying art, as you mm-hmm. know, and um, there's this need... Of technology to help um, kind of engage the opera audience that it was it once was and now it's become kind of a um, a place where the elite can go. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see dance going um, in terms of it kind of rotating into a, a fresh perspective and a fresh art form? Um, do you see something similar happening with the dance world?
0: Yeah. I mean, the one thing that happened, what's really exciting about what happened when technology emerged, and specifically when film and video happened, is that for the first time, dance as an art form was, we were able to record it. We were able to record the history of it. Uh, Before that, dance was the only art form that had no actual physical, you know, no physical evidence that it ever happened. You know, we can dig up... Um, like archaeologists have, have dug up, you know, evidence of rituals and, and dance happening there. And we have the stories and written information from the times of, you know, Louis XIV and his ballet within the courts. But we never, it wasn't like music. It wasn't written down. Not everything was recorded. Um, and there is the exception. So like uh, Rudolf von Laban created Laban technique and Laban vocabulary And so some people did write down the dances, but what's amazing about dance specifically is that, you know, it can happen in a room somewhere. It can happen on the other side of the world and we might never know about it. And so what's exciting about technology and the evolution is that for the first time we're able to record it. And we're also, we're able to find information about dance happening all over the country, all over the world. And so I think that's definitely where the future is going with that. Um, something I saw recently that excited me—the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow—is is taking. Uh, they're making records of every performance that ever happened. That they have a record of, a physical record of. But you know, that's that's eighteen hundreds and onwards, and before that, they'll have nothing. They know that people were dancing at the Bolshoi. That that Russia is a place where ballet existed. For a long time before we could record it but uh some of that is lost and so what's exciting about technology in the future is that we'll be able to record the history of this art form Uh, another thing that's exciting that's happening is of course this use of virtual reality uh, and artificial intelligence and all these really exciting things happening in technology where we're using our bodies it's not just the artists anymore it's everyone is using their bodies to interact with the technology and, you know, artists can get involved in a few ways. There are, of course, interactive performances that are happening. This is something that, uh, that proscenium stages, the, the companies now that perform on a proscenium stage are using to To get the audience members back, right? If if they're competing now with YouTube, they're competing with Beyonce, they're competing with So You Think You Can Dance, and J Lo's new show. They're competing with all of these new, you know, shows, technologies, and everything. And so they're using technology to bring people back into the theater, and they're also using the knowledge of artists, right? This is something we're starting to do. We're starting to use dancers and theater majors, people who know and understand the body better better than anyone else to bring them into the technology, the development of the technology and and how to make it more inclusive for for everybody, for all bodies. Uh, Because we know our bodies the best. We can also imagine ourselves outside of our bodies and what a technology might need. Uh, right now, I think I think that's an awesome point that you brought up
2: being able to kind of bring it back into theater and to
0: mm-hmm.
2: its technology is really helping everyone be able to kind of take part in it and to understand their bodies more. And I think virtual reality really can have an application for people who are trying to learn dance. Um, something that I read was um, that there are applications for being immersed in social environments. Um I'm wondering what application in dance do you think will really take off in the next two to three years to five years? Is there anything that you think um, technology and dance will really have a sweet spot in?
0: I want to say virtual reality. I I really do. Mm-hmm. And I hope that, uh, that artists are inclined to start collaborating more. It's starting to happen. The Lion King did a little... Online virtual reality, um, I guess it's a trailer you can call it, where people can immerse themselves into The Lion King and understand how exciting it is to actually be in the theater and to see these beautiful performers on stage.
4: Do you think virtual reality is useful in dance as a form of consumption of like dance performances? Or do you think virtual reality also has applications in learning dance and like using? Um, Essentially, like, distance education, as you mentioned, is something that, like, because dance does not have a written form, it has to happen. The teaching has to happen in a room, right?
0: Mm -hmm. No, that's actually, that's great. That put me right back on track, too, because the one thing I did forget about virtual reality is also, like, the power of education. Right. And, And so... Absolutely, I think that virtual reality will be used. It is already being used to bring perform to to bring audiences back into the actual theater mm-hmm. to watch live performance. But it will be used, of course, to educate others. There are so many people who would love to to learn, you know, ballroom dancing, African dancing. There are so many exciting opportunities there, and yeah, we're just starting. And to be immersed. The experience instead of watching a YouTube video, I think will be very powerful. There are already so many, you know, like YouTube stars who are who are making dance more accessible, who are making music more accessible. They're making all kinds of things accessible. It's like the do-it-yourself age, it's the mm-hmm. DIY age, yeah. and, uh, and dance is only starting to be a part of that. That trend and those who are too afraid to go to a dance studio or step into a theater where maybe the performing arts are alienating to them, uh, and we're not even talking about the, the, the amount of money they have to spend to get into the theater in the first place. VR will be and already is a platform where people will learn to dance, learn to sing, learn to paint, in an environment that may feel safer to them than actually being in the studio being within your body dancing is one of the most vulnerable things we can do
4: have you like experienced like a vr performance that was really mind-blowing or have you like used vr technology in particular ways
0: so i haven't specifically used vr technology Uh um, but i was a part of uh you know i put on a a headset last year at the conference uh, that i run it or that i help run at brown university and uh the the person setting up the experience actually called in performance the day before. So there were dancers, there were theater majors, and they had improvised uh, for 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then when I put on the headset, I was able to see the performers around me. These were people that I knew. These were dancers and artists that I had interacted with at the conference. And I was able to see them performing around me. And so they were very close to me. This was I mean, I've I've put on a VR headset before, but I've never experienced it quite like this. And what was so amazing about this experience was I wasn't only able to see them, but I was able to navigate how I saw them. And that's something else that's really impressive is that when you think about uh, the way we engage with performances now, with a lot of art, it's head-on,
2: yeah. right?
0: Your body is directly in front of it. And that's often how theaters are set up. That's how you set yourself up in a museum to mm-hmm. see a painting. You want to be right in front of it. And so with this experience, I was able to decide where I wanted to place my body. So I had, I had power and choice as to where my body went in relation to the performers, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's almost returning to some of the history from a long time ago before the use of the proscenium stage uh, performances happened around you right in the in the French ballet courts. Performances happened around you. They happened in front of you, behind you. People would travel in and out. It was part of the actual experience of socializing, of being with other people. You would be gambling and watching the performance. You weren't just sitting there or standing there and facing it head on. And so that's another exciting part of of using technology for the arts is that we're now, we're, we're using the technology to have more than one focus. And some of that is also giving the audience member that power again to choose that focus Mm -hmm. to to help them use their imagination right use their own bodies their own willingness to learn to be a part of the experience
2: so and this is a broad question about the performing arts and the future of performing artists Mm -hmm. because i think now we're seeing an amalgamation of an artist who not only has to dance, but also has to sing yeah. and also has to be able to speak a certain way. They have to kind of have a lot of different skills um, and it, they have to really up their game. So how do you think the future performer will look like and what do they need to actually be really good at um, as it grows increasingly more
0: competitive? Yeah, well, absolutely. Increasingly more competitive. I think more and more people are going to school to receive Bachelor of Fine Arts, MAs, MFAs in the arts. And uh, unfortunately, the jobs are decreasing. And uh, the funding is decreasing, specifically in this country, but really everywhere in the world. Uh, I think that's a great question. It's actually not just about how well you can sing and how well you can dance. More and more, we're seeing uh, companies that are looking for dancers who can not only perform their task as the performer, but also handle the online social media accounts. Uh, so it's actually dancers have to have to not only hone their craft but understand the world that is keeping their craft alive. Uh, there is almost almost no such thing as a full-time professional dance career anymore. Uh, unless you're in one of the big ballet companies in the United States, so I'm talking like the New York City Ballet, um, ABT, American Ballet Theater, uh, you're not getting health care or dental care or any kind of benefits with your five-hour-a-week dance project. Um, a lot of people need to a lot of performers, a lot of dancers, uh, but all kinds of performers need to kind of wake up and see that the world of technology, the world of not uh, of freelancing, of, of remote work is actually transporting itself into the, the world of artists too. And you're seeing more and more artists who are freelancers and uh, who are working on, you know, who have a day job, who have a day job and are performing at night. And so the, the world around us is also affecting artists okay
4: to follow up on that what do most of the people that you went to school with end up doing because you say there are a lot more people getting these degrees but there's no jobs yeah do those people go to school for their passion and then end up pursuing a different career essentially or do they end up doing dance related careers
0: yeah so unfortunately I have to say that the, the world of arts education has not yet caught up to the real world you know, no one had talked to me about a website or my my Instagram presence, uh, which is actually so... It, it's huge amongst artists' communities now. So no one had talked to me about the realities of the performing arts today. And, and I think education is getting there. They'll catch up. There are new programs being built. But uh, a lot of students after they graduate are shocked, are shocked by how quickly the world is changing. The world of arts is not what we envisioned it to be. I was one of those kids who grew up thinking I would be a ballerina, who thought that I would be performing every night, that I would have the money to live off of that. And the minute I started understanding the, the arts now, I understood that that was no longer a reality. That was not the case. And there are a lot of students who struggle with that after graduation, uh, who are auditioning and auditioning and auditioning for parts that may not exist, that may not have the funding. You may get the part and not get paid. It's a huge issue in the arts, doing a lot of work for free uh and and then who are stuck so i you know i i went to school with some people who have started their own projects who have part-time contracts but who are also doing other things to to make ends meet to live to pay their rent and that looks different for everyone you know it is a big trend amongst performers to to work in restaurants the restaurant industry uh other uh, people who are working administrative positions, which is where I started, which is what I do still sometimes uh, and and they're taking any of their other skills, whatever they can to make the money to also continue pursuing what they love.
3: So how do you see this evolving um, so this like kind of idea of the starving artist evolving with the desire to preserve the art form itself in Mm -hmm. its full integrity. How can you, how can you have both?
0: Well, we're hustling. (laughs) That's for sure. It was like, we are working our butts off. Um, I hope that in the next 10, 15, 20 years, there are more people who are willing to work on the other side of things. As I mentioned before, one of the big, the big issues right now is funding. There are not enough people who are willing to write grants, to work administratively, and everyone wants to be front and center. Everyone wants to be dancing or singing or, you know, making their art, uh, but we need more support, and right now, that's not coming from the government. It has in the past. I'm sure that it will in the future. Uh, right now, the National Endowment for the Arts is at a very low point, and so we need people to step up and to understand that the support behind the scenes is as important as, as the actual performer on stage and that it's not a failure, that it's not, you're not doing your art wrong. Your career is not crashing because you are helping other artists survive. Other art, other performances happen.
4: What are your thoughts on uh, crowdfunding platforms? If you have any.
0: Yeah. I actually help a lot of people uh, online for develop crowdfunding campaigns.
4: So would this be on Kickstarter or Patreon or what are the other platforms? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, uh, I think the two biggest ones in any industry right now are are Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Mm -hmm. I know that Kickstarter specifically is trying to support the arts uh, in a more meaningful way than they have in the past. They're looking for more artists who want to crowdfund. And not just for individual projects, I think that's usually the trend for artists is to to raise money online for your specific individual project. So it is a trend for artists to raise money online usually for their own individual projects for travel or for intensives that they want to attend to hone their own craft. But uh, platforms like Kickstarter are starting to really uh, support and try to find more people to use their platform for projects. Uh, that are arts related. They want to be supporting the arts, uh, and I know that's an initiative that that they've started recently. And uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a great way to get people on board. It's a great way to show other people what you're doing, and to get them to show up to support. Uh, it's it's really hard right now. Like we're we're raising money for all kinds of things, and why should the arts matter, right? Uh, there's a lot going on in politics right now there's a lot going on on the other side of the world there are people who don't have enough money to eat every day and, and we need artists to continue supporting what they do and to explain to people why it is that we do it why it's important for everyone to be a part of this world and so crowdfunding platforms are a part of that they help share with the world in a way faster than any other not uh, technology-related platform. They help share what you're doing and why it's important and and actually the urgency of of the arts in general of needing this money to survive. Mm
3: -hmm. So in tandem with the starving artists, how are you thinking about preservation of the sites in which they have these performances, the theaters, and the schools in which they teach. Mm-hmm. Where is the funding coming for those organizations and you know, structures?
0: So I'm not worried about the schools. There will always be little three-year-olds in their tutus, ready to take a dance class. And <laughs> so I'm not worried about that. <laughs>
3: I'm
0: not worried about education. I'm, I'm worried about the diversity in education, of course, because... Uh, as we struggle in the u s with like this idea of privilege and what that looks like in terms of diversity, of course, then that brings that is directly in correlation with with dance education. If you can't afford to send your child to a dance class, mm-hmm. then your child will not dance uh, in in that realm at least, so I'm not necessarily worried about education. I think we're at a point right now where there is that question of is the theater still necessary. I mean I would say yes because I've had magical experiences in the theater. But if it does survive, if we do want it to survive, it needs to change. It can't you cannot be paying 85 to 100 dollars a ticket for a dance performance. And that may not be a lot to some people, but if we want this, if we want people to go to the theater, if we want them to continue seeing the artists perform, in the flesh, which is where they're most passionate, which is where we feel that energy so strongly, we need to make it more accessible. And that's the issue, right? Is that we don't have enough funding, we need to be charging more for tickets to get people in the room, but we want more people in the room. And so we're, we're stuck. We're stuck in this place where, where technology can make things accessible for free, and a lot of people will choose free over the $85 ticket. And We're struggling. I don't think there's an answer yet to to that. And I don't have the answer because I also want artists to be paid fairly, Uh, which, you know, which doesn't happen very often as a performer or as someone working behind the scenes. It's very similar to the structure of a nonprofit where when you're working for a dance nonprofit, it gets even worse. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, that's, that's the question we haven't answered yet. Is, like, will the theater survive? Will the proscenium stage survive? Is it necessary? Is it vital to get people excited and to get people involved? I definitely don't have that answer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what is a project that you're working on that you're really passionate about right now?
0: So I'm working on a few that, that fall into different areas of, of the, the professional dance world. Um, one of the excited... Well, one of the projects that I've always been really excited about, uh, I started as a student and I'm the communications director, is a nonprofit organization uh, called Juntos Collective. And we are empowering intercultural exchange by bringing dance students in the United States to teach and perform in underserved and underprivileged parts of Central America and Mexico. And that excites me because... Dance needs to be shared, and it cannot only be shared with people with money. (laughs) It excites me that dance students have the opportunity to see uh, what their art form can do, how their art form can empower another human, can encourage communication with another human that doesn't necessarily speak your, your same verbal language, and and can show you that two bodies can think more alike than we, than we actually know, right? That regardless of your political views, regardless of how much money your household brings in, is that both, both humans can, all humans can dance. All humans can be together and share something in that way. And so that really excites me, and I was a student Uh, who traveled with this organization first and then eventually decided that I wanted to help this organization grow. Uh, So I stuck around for a really long time and then they finally hired me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's one that really excites me. Can you
4: tell us about like where you went as a student and what the reception was of the local population?
0: Yeah, Yeah absolutely so I traveled four times as a student with them. I traveled to Guatemala twice, Mexico and Nicaragua and It's amazing to share. It was amazing to share dance with people abroad. And it was amazing for them to share their dance culture with me. Uh, So dance, I think in Central and Latin America is more, more so part of their daily culture. Uh, It's amazing to see the four-year-olds shaking their hips like Beyonce. (laughs) I look at that, you know, that was definitely not embedded into our culture and uh, it's also amazing to, to, to talk to people and to understand that, that they don't go to the theater, right? But it's, that is not embedded in their culture, that they don't have a lot of theaters, especially in underserved communities. There are families, uh, children and adults who have never seen a professional performance, whether it be a singer or a dancer or, or someone working in theater. And so to bring that experience to them which is part of our culture, is amazing. You know, it's amazing to see people show up in in their Sunday best to see this performance that is so important to them and, and touches them so deeply. They're so open to the experience. And, you know, for them to share their culture with us, for them to say, this is what you showed us, this beautiful professional dance performance, and now we'd like to show you part of ours, and they share their food, and they share... The, the dance culture that is akin to them, right? Uh, in Nicaragua, I learned the Fallo de Mayo, or the Palo de Mayo dance, which is the, the Maypole dance. And I got to put on the costume and the headpiece and, and use my body in a new way. And so that always excited me. And it also excited me to, to give hope to, to people who who might not understand that their passion can turn into a job, that their passion can actually bring them places. Uh, you know we worked with we worked with all kinds of different people uh it's it's always really impressive to me to work with with uh organizations that are taking kids off the streets or teenagers off the streets <laughs> who have passions uh like you know we we met a group of of boys who who were learning the art of circus uh and and they had no idea that that could be work. That could, that could be their job, that they could actually make money and live off of that. Uh, and, and to share with them that, that we chose our passions as our career, that we believed in something and pursued it, it's, it's always empowering to share that with someone else.
4: To have a role model of someone who's a exactly. professional.
0: to have a role yeah. model uh, and, and to share with them that no matter what it is, uh, just because of the place that you come from, you can still do it mm-hmm. right uh, Sharing our passion with someone helps them understand where their passion can go as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess i'll share one more project that i 'm really excited about, and this is uh, a conference that i I help program at Brown University, which is the conference for research on choreographic interfaces
2: mm-hmm. and This
0: is a conference that happens once a year, and we bring together uh, experts in. All kinds of different fields in technology anthropology and dance in theater we bring artists and we bring other professionals together and we talk about the future of technology and it's so essential it's so vital that we bring people together now because technology is is part of our daily lives it's part of you know we wear fitbits on our wrist it's part of our bodies it's part of our lives but what we can do with that technology has only begun and getting people in one room that can start collaborating. And that's a really important word is collaborating to make technology and the world a better place. That's so important to me is that so many bad things can happen with this technology and we can focus on that or we can focus on all of the good. We can focus on all these beautiful collaborations that can happen, how to bring artists who understand the body into these conversations, how to bring people of diversity into this conversation, and, and talk about what that means. What do we want our future to look like? How can we get dancers involved? I want to be involved in this future, right? I don't want to be left on the sidelines. And, and yeah, it's just the beginning. And so that project also really excites me. I'm so fortunate to be a programming associate for, for the conference because it's helped me meet some really amazing people who are also working on such collaborative projects already.
4: Can you talk about some people that you find very inspiring that you've met through the conference?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I haven't gotten permission to, like, mention their <laughs> names or their projects specifically, but, like, here's an example, is that you have a dancer working with someone majoring in robotics. And the this is a woman who's working on on, I think, a few different robot projects, but one specifically that will age as people age. A robot that can help you at the pace that you need to be helped, right? So thinking about the elderly and and how they respond to technology is not as quick as, as a millennial might. And so working on a robot that will age as you age, that will work at the right pace for you, um, that, that's one of the projects that she's working on. And and she brought in a dancer to understand what movement looks like in that case. What, how slow do you really need to be, right? How can, how do all of our joints, uh, how can those be helped by the technology, by the robot? And so there are really interesting projects like that, a bunch of VR happening. Um, you know, just conversations happening around, around motion, around the motion, the movement that needs to happen for some of these technologies to work. Uh, there, there are so many examples where that is not working right now. I don't know if you guys, there was a viral uh, video on Twitter where the motion of a white man swiping his hand for soap worked. And then the swipe of the black man did not work. You can swipe a napkin and it will work how how is that how can we bring other people into the conversation so that technology does not make those mistakes over and over again
4: yeah that is like super crucial because I mean all technology is like designed by like young people and so you never really think about like um yeah the disabled or the elderly or anyone who has like different ways of moving so
0: diversity is one and then of course like the issue of motion Mm -hmm. is that sometimes you have people working on these projects who are great at sitting at the computer and coding Mm -hmm. the actual (laughs) technology at hand (laughs) but when you think about the motions that need to go into it Mm -hmm. when i'm you know again the fitbit but even the motions that open our or turn on our lights right now Uh, eventually i can see that being integrated into everything that we do So motion needs to be recorded. The motions that we're using for technology need to be recorded and they need to all work together. So all these different companies working on different projects that involve motion capture uh, and using that motion to use the device to turn on the device, to turn off the device, to communicate with the device. That's going to be a huge problem if everyone is working on this and they're all sitting at their computers and no one has actually thought about what it takes to use your body, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to wave your hand and then all of a sudden you're calling your mom and the door opens and the (laughs) lights go off, right? (laughs) So that's a huge issue that we're not really taking into account right now is people are building these amazing technologies and they're not thinking about what can go terribly wrong if we don't think about our involvement of our bodies within that technology. And so mm-hmm. I'm seeing more and more collaborations around that through this conference, and I'm seeing collaborations where they're taking people who understand the body better than anyone else who've spent years and years and years and a lot of money to work on their own bodies and bringing them into the conversation.
4: And also, like, a history of, like, thousands of years of, like, knowledge also, about the absolutely. World.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
3: So you've worked with the elderly before on a previous project, right?
0: I actually, yes, I have. I, um, I, I, when I can, so teach movement to elderly. And I have, while I was at the Boston Observatory, I also uh, worked on a project there called Movement Matters, uh, where we would bring dance classes to the elderly in the community.
3: And was that primarily for? What I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, where do you see sort of the therapeutic benefit for that that kind of dance teaching dance to the elderly?
0: Oh, there's so many. Um, there's so many, and I think that I would I would love to bring up the example of dance for Parkinson's disease, which is uh, there's a program in New York run by David Leventhal, and he has built an entire curriculum around uh, movement for the elderly, but specifically also for people with Parkinson's disease. And I would recommend that you check out the documentary and any of their work online. It is amazing to see how your body responds to music, specifically music and dance together. And uh, how that there are so many physical benefits, but also emotional benefits to, to using dance as a therapy. And uh, more and more people, I mean, it's, it's popping up everywhere. There are now like maj- majors, you can major at the university in dance therapy and people are developing actual content uh, to train other people. We're only at the beginning for that. And that's because, you know, scientists are really looking into, into the power of, of music and also movement together to, to uplift the human spirit and the human body.
3: Seems like that could definitely be uh, a huge vector for growth for dancing in general and really make its use more apparent to people who yeah. might just take it for granted.
0: And I mean, talk about virtual reality. That's a great place to use virtual reality. Uh, I know that Dance for PD in New York is, is working on that. They're partnering with, uh, with technologists to, to see where they can go to make these classes more accessible. Uh, to bodies that can't necessarily get off the couch as easily as others. You know, a lot of classes for elderly are seated, And so if you're thinking about someone who who is disabled or who can't move uh, at a quick enough pace, who can't drive, who can't actually physically attend the class, I mean, that's where technology is going to come in, is how can we make therapies like that accessible to everyone?
2: What do you think was the most valuable thing that helped you kind of keep course or um, that helped push you in the direction in terms of envisioning this future and kind of um, being able to uh, be impassioned about this field? Is there something that, like, really um, helped you get there?
0: Actually, yes. Um, My sophomore year, I got very sick. Uh, I picked up a bug while traveling. And I stopped dancing and that was, that was the experience that helped me move forward with my career was not dancing for a few months, stepping away from my art form and experiencing the world as just a human. Uh, And I think that's relevant to anyone, right? Stepping away from your computer, stepping away from whatever it is that you do. So stepping away from dance for me helped me understand how I wanted to place my body in that realm how i wanted to how i wanted to act behave how i wanted to to help the arts move forward um yeah stepping away from dance for a while because i think we get so caught up in our own individual worlds that we forget about everything else and that's what happened to me is that i was so focused I'm pointing my feet really hard <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was so focused at like trying to kick my head with my foot that like, <laughs> I forgot about all the other exciting things happening in the world and so getting sick and stepping away from my education for a bit and stepping away from the dance studio specifically helped me understand the potential that that I had within the knowledge that I had already, you know, that I had already gained through through my education, through my dancing for so many years. Every time that I think about my career now and where I am and where I want to go, I think back to the time when I was when I was not dancing. And thinking about dance more than anything. (laughs) Thinking about dance, thinking about the arts. Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
3: Well, thank you so much for teaching us all about dance and really getting us excited about the future of it in our lives.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'm always one to make it more accessible to everyone else. (laughs) To everyone else who doesn't get a Bachelor of (laughs) arts. Thank you.
4: Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Imagine Human. Please don't forget to check out our website at imaginehuman.com for additional resources and links relevant to this week's episode. As always, we really appreciate your support. So don't forget to share with friends and family and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. We are always looking forward to meeting interesting people to interview for Imagine Human. So if you know of someone, please contact us on social media or email us at imaginehumanity17 at gmail.com.